almost ever since I met Telos. I believe that humans and scrolls can help each other. The world is facing a serious threat, and I could use your help. It would mean putting on a new face and keeping it. This is the promise. While you work to keep my home safe, Carol Danvers and I will find you a new one. I'm Chris Bivey. And I'm Eddie Webb. And today on Journalists, we're here to rant about Secret Invasion. I'm not going to lie. I hate this show. I hate it from top. I hate it from bottom. I hate it from the sides. Much like if I, I hate it on a train, I hate it on a plane. I hate it on a boat. I hate it while I'm sipping from a cup, riding on a goat. Um, <clears throat> yes. So I will preface this episode by saying that someone on our Discord did say they were looking forward to someone explaining to them why this show was good. And I did say we would try. So it might be me trying. But <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll, we'll both try. It's, it's why we potentially are going to change our format a little bit for this time. Right. And this episode can be anywhere from 15 minutes. I warned Eddie 15 minutes or up to two hours, depending on how much I feel like trying this morning. Yeah. Um, and and for, for, for context, we talked about it last week, but to kind of reiterate, um, one of the reasons we're changing the format aside from our potential dislike of this show um is also we just recently watched it um usually with these things we pick three episodes and we watch it to refresh our memories even if we're familiar with the show because it's usually been several months at the minimum since we've seen that show we stopped watching the show last week so it make no sense to go back and rewatch three more episodes again particularly because at least one of us perhaps both of us may not be up for watching three more episodes of this show again i will um, never watch this show again but also it's it's just weird to rewatch a show you just watched. Um, so this is going to be a bit more in the vein of our short little digression of Strange New Worlds, where it's our fresh perspectives rather than something a little more kind of distanced, looking back on it kind of thing. Because a lot of our stuff has been, at least in this MCU run, has been lots of looking back on it, I have a different opinion. Or looking back on it, I see this now. This is more or less our fresh thoughts on this. But uh, I, I think you've already got a sense of the potential tenor of how this conversation will go. If you're, if you're looking for the usual banter and liveliness, maybe jump forward 20 minutes because if we're still recording, I may get in that zone. Uh, if not, <laughs> I hope to see you next time where we're doing not Marvel, but right. I won't tell you what it is until the end of the show. Right. Or if you're reading on a podcast, you can just cheat and read like the podcast notes. Um, um, where to start? I personally... Dislike She-Hulk. I'm not going to lie. I'll, I'll go back and talk about She-Hulk briefly. I dislike okay. She-Hulk. And going into that, I had lowered my expectations for Secret Invasion. Also, mm -hmm. as a comic book reader, I knew that there was no way possible they could pull off Secret Invasion on a TV show. Also, pulling off Secret Invasion in the movie is highly unlikely. Just from the story that it is. And to get the show that we got is... Not surprising. It is incredibly disappointing. It goes back to a, a trope that I keep saying that I have not liked. I think I've mentioned before is using the name of something to garner eyes and money and support for it while not fulfilling for whatever that purpose is. 
Right. It's for instance, a lot of different shows will say they take the name Sherlock because everyone knows Sherlock. So then they'll mm-hmm. go, and we're making a Sherlock show. If you're making a Sherlock show, why is Sherlock a waiter in a restaurant that's good with talking with people? That's not Sherlock. <laughs> you say that, but there actually is an anime where he's basically a bum. Uh, <laughs> and he's on two, two, it's like 221 in some street in Japan. And it's, 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 it's very different, let's say. And so that was difficult. Even in the Discord, as you mentioned, the Discord, I think the show would have done itself a favor if it had instead called itself something like Secret War or Fury or like the Fury Files. And that would have lowered expectations of what people expected from the show. And Secret yeah. War, for anyone that's curious, is a is another Bendis run because Secret Invasion was written by Bendis. Uh, but this is sort of the, I think, a buildup for it where instead Nick Fury gets a couple of superheroes. I mean, like low power superheroes. I, I love my Luke Cage, but Luke Cage is not like a, a super Thor level superhero. It's like Luke Cage, Daredevil, Captain America. And they go and they kind of have a secret war on Latveria because like a new Latverian prime minister that supposedly has good connection with the government is doing shenanigans. And so right. they can't attack them overtly because the U.S. can't do that. Instead, they're doing literally, do I need to say it? A secret war. And mm-hmm. they could have taken that title and done this exact same thing. And that would have had a better feel for it. Right. Um, so before we get into the show proper, since you mentioned the secret uh, uh, invasion comic book arc, Chris, tell us about the secret invasion comic book arc. Um, well, the secret invasion was started much like most things by the greatest villain of the 616 and the MCU, Tony fucking Stark. (laughs) Tony Stark formed a group of people called the Illuminati, which was Reed Richards, Professor X, and some other key folks like that. And Black Namor. How can you forget Namor? Easily. (laughs) Oh, oh, man. Imperious Rex that. Um, (laughs) And so they formed the Illuminati to, it was basically their idea of a group that would stop threats before they became real threats. They went to. They wanted to hide. It. They went to T'Challa to join. And T'Challa says, "This is the worst idea I've ever fucking heard." Mm-hmm. And they're like, "No, Black Panther, we know better." And so then they went and they went to the Scroll World and said, "Hey, Scrolls, we know you've been to Earth. Don't come fuck around with us." And they blew up a Scroll ship and they like peacing out. The uh, Scrolls caught them because they have advanced, infinitely more advanced technology for like being thousands of years older than humanity. They learned about their plans. They started being able to duplicate superheroes, just not the Fantastic Four, but all superhero powers. The Illuminati came back to Earth and they tried to hide what they did. The Shrolls then slowly seeded in replacements to other superheroes and they launched a massive attack on Earth. Mm -hmm. The superheroes were mostly failing. Um, Let me let me give my shout out to Nick Fury, because if you read one of the sub comics, Fury discovers this, the only member, not the Illuminati. He discovers the scrolls before anyone else does and goes around and starts setting up his own little idea about how to stop them because mm. Fury is ingenious an organizer and not a total tool. He's an asshole, but he's not a tool um, right. and untrustworthy. <laughs> Big superhero fight. Superheroes you thought were killed actually turned out to be they were scrolls that were killed. Other superheroes didn't know who was what. In the end, Fury shows up with his group of, God, what were they? Like, this is where we first, I think this is where we first meet Quake, and Quake is super powerful. Do you remember Quake? Oh, God, yeah. 
Daisy, she makes earthquakes and all this other stuff. Right. And so they break in and they help turn the tide of the battle against the scrolls. In the end, Tony Stark comes up with this great idea. Nick Fury's about to get a bunch of vital information that would help them. Norman Osborn intercepts it. And Norman mm-hmm. Osborn becomes a hero of Secret Invasion after the scrolls are stopped and replaces Tony Stark as the director of S.H.I.E.L.D. and forms Hammer. And then we enter the dark reign of the Marvel Universe. And one of the reasons why I feel the Secret Invasion comic worked, I mean, first of all, it was a time in Marvel where actions actually had consequences and played out over a long period of time, which is a rarity for Marvel. Um, They would sometimes have events, but things would fall back to status quo pretty quickly. Um, But this is a time where one thing led into another, led into another, led into another, and and those things compounded. Um, uh, And a lot of it was due to Bendis, so props for him. Uh, but the other thing is that it took Bendis took something that was a common superhero trope of people who die but then come back and then did something with them. And so all of those superhero deaths that were retcons, anyone had potential to be a scroll. And because 85% of the Marvel Universe has died at some point in time, anyone could have been a scroll. And that was one of the excitements of the arc was that like, is it, can Wolverine be a scroll? Wolverine could be a scroll 17 times over, you know? Um, Captain America's died a couple of times. He might be a scroll. We don't know. Um, and that really helps to set up the, the long-term espionage because the reader was getting suspicious. And, like, uh, spoilers for the very beginning of Secret Invasion, but, like, it was revealed that, like, Jarvis was a scroll. Um, you know, so people you never expected suddenly turned out to be scrolls and part of this long-term plan. And as a concept, when we're going into the Secret Wars TV show, I was thinking, yeah, there's a lot of MCU characters who have died or been off screen or whatever. Much like She-Hulk, we could bring a whole bunch of cameo characters in to find out that these are all scrolls. It could, mm-hmm. you know, we could recast characters very easily. There's a lot of really cool potential with this. On top of the fact that it's Samuel L. Jackson getting an entire TV show to himself in a fairly dramatic role. There's so much I was excited about for this show because it could have taken the potential of the comic book and the potential of the lead actor and really do something amazing with it. But we got this. Before we go into the show proper, let's let's take a minute. Sure. Uh, Nick Fury, super spy, head of the S.H.I.E.L.D. organization. Originally, I want to say Fury was a Stranko creation from like yes. the 60s, which are very great comic runs, some of the best comic covers ever. The version of Fury that we have is more from the Ultimates comics, where in the 2000s, they decided to sort of reboot the Marvel Universe for people so they didn't have to know the backstory. And they reached out to Samuel Jackson and said, hey, we want our Fury. Can we use like your model for it, face model for it? And he said, yes. I think we've talked about Fury in more detail on the Captain America yep. Iron Man speechless that we did. So you can check that one right, out. Where, where I argue that Fury is actually really terrible being a spy. But here, he's... He's he shown what he's better at, which is being a manipulator. It's still a horrible spy in this. Not a good spy. Good at everything else, but not a and, good spy. And a bad manipulator. But we'll come around to that too in a second. <laughs> uh, then we have <laughs> Rhodey, who we've known almost from the start of the MCU, much like Fury. Both of them showed up in the first Iron Man movie, like yep. establishing a few key black characters before they didn't really give us any more of them. Mm-hmm. Making that point now, because I'm going to come back to that later. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Uh, Rhodey has been equivalent in the comics, Tony's second and best friend for decades and decades. If you want to know more about Rhodey, you can listen to the Speechless episode where we do Captain America versus Iron Man. Uh, <laughs> all you need to know is awesome. Yep. We have Maria Hill, who showed up in the Bendis run. She became she was sort of the deputy for Nick Fury. She's a good spy. She's a good soldier. She sort of takes over S.H.I.E.L.D. eventually when Fury goes away, Tony goes away. And I think after Norman Osborn leaves, she sort of take, assumes the leadership of S.H.I.E.L.D. for a while. Yes. And then S.H.I.E.L.D. got disbanded. Now she's the head of the CIA, although she's rebuilding S.H.I.E.L.D. now in 2023. So Who she's knows? good at her job. Let's put it that way. Well, consistently good. Mm-hmm. Um, the scrolls. The scrolls are an old enemy of the Fantastic Four. They are shapeshifters. I want to say the Fantastic Four encountered them in the within the first ten issues. Eddie would probably know issue four on that one. Yeah, and in the end, they tricked. I think the scrolls being there to shapeshift in the cows, and they got stuck as cows. Yes, leading to one of my favorite terrible spinoffs, the skull kill crew where it turned out that those cows had been killed and turned into hamburgers that people ate which turned them into scrolls (laughs) it's amazing and awful and no one should read it and the super scroll originally i think was one individual that had the combined powers of the fantastic four They, they showed up decades later like way way later in the fantastic four runs not in the early days but uh in the hundreds right it was during the stan and jack run I thought it was during the hundreds for some reason. No, it was during the Stan and Jack run. And now, granted, he was a one-off villain in there. He okay. got resurrected as a proper character with the name Clort um, much, much later. So you're, you're mostly right. He had like a one That's appearance in them. Yeah, and then afterwards, like, oh, actually, we should use this guy again. And that was around the Bermuda run, I want to say. 70s. And literally, their powers were just those four powers. The Fantastic Four powers in one scroll, and their body would sort of change as they were using those sort of powers. Mm-hmm. And... After fucking Illuminati, the scrolls realized they could do a lot more with their technology. And that's when we started getting an array of scrolls with different superpowers that could actually pretend to be other heroes because they believe themselves to be those heroes until they yeah. were equivalently activated. That means mm-hmm. my Wolverine couldn't sense them, couldn't smell them. Charles Xavier couldn't sense who they were until they acted. Yeah. Is there anyone else of note that really needs to be gone into? I think that's pretty much it. Can you think of anyone that we should definitely touch on? Well, um, I mean, to kind of talk about the scrolls a little bit, um, the scrolls have been through kind of up and down. Like they were initially a one-off villain um, because Jack Kirby liked to do aliens. Uh, Then they kept coming back. Um, I know he did. Oh God. Yeah. Um, But around the seventies to the early mid eighties, the scrolls had kind of become comedy villains, right? Um, they were the, the guys you bring in to beat up. Like the Kree were a bigger threat than the Skrulls. And uh, the Kree Skrull War, while a big Avengers event, was pretty heavy on the Kree winning, right? Um, because to your point, it's like, you know, 50% of the superheroes had some way of determining if someone was a Skrull or not. So it seemed like a moot point. Um, and then in the 90s, uh, they were largely forgotten except for as a way to retcon certain storylines like Johnny Storm's uh, marriage to uh, Ben Grimm's girlfriend, which is a whole thing, um, and then she turns out to be a scroll, and it's just it's 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 a, it's a thing that exists. Uh, but again, going back to the comic book run, um, Secret Invasion made scrolls scary again. Like for the first time in decades, I remember going, "Holy crap! I'm actually scared of the scrolls." 
uh, because Bendis really did a good job of saying these guys are aliens. They uh, have higher technology, and when they put their minds to it, when they're not squabbling amongst themselves, when they're unified in purpose, they can be terrifying. It's like, oh, these are the guys who stood toe-to-toe to the Kree and beat them to a standstill. Now I see why. Um, so it's more frustrating, uh, perhaps, to see their MCU counterparts are not living up to that realization, let's say. And we could get into the fact that originally for the first Avengers movie, they were supposed to be in the scrolls, but Marvel didn't have the rights to the scrolls. So they used a Chitari, which were oh, named Chitari, which was the ultimate version of the scrolls, which uh, Fox that owned the Fantastic Four did not have the rights to. So that's why we got the Chitari for the Avengers movie. And later when they acquired uh-huh. the rights to the scrolls is when we started getting the scrolls to come into play. But the scrolls should be incredibly scary as they're shapeshifters and most aliens are considered to be slightly more super than humans across the board. Mm-hmm. Just to give you a rough idea, like your average uh, Joe or Jane scroll could probably bench twice as much as a human. They're more durable, stuff like that. Yeah. So it, yeah. it is not a baseline comparison to human to scroll. It would be scroll, maybe three humans. <laughs> right, right. And that, that, was, that was kind of their original intention. But like I said, they, 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 they fell back on that. Um, and, and so it was cool to see them be genuinely scary. And then honestly, as a, as a, as a group, as an organization, um, the comics, they've, they've gone some really interesting directions. Um, uh, spoilers for the past three years, I guess. Uh, but, um, now the, the Kree and the scrolls have an alliance and that is really interesting and going as badly as you expect. Uh, so, um, uh, a single scroll, even unenhanced, should be scary. Mm-hmm. I, I, I leave it dot, dot, dot there because I'll come back to that point when we talk about the show. Much how in Doctor Who, a single Dalek should be scary as fuck. Like, that was actually, hands down. That was actually the point I was going to make is that um, in Doctor Who, a single Dalek is scary. But what happens in Doctor Who is the ninja problem, which is that <laughs> one Dalek is scary. A thousand Daleks put it on the cardboard. It's like a Tuesday. Um, right. <laughs> any final comments about the comic before we shift fully into the TV show and the MCU? Uh, can we just talk about the comic for another hour? That'd be great. <laughs> no, I can talk about uh, Jake Fury, Scorpio, leader of the Zodiac. <laughs> oh, Scorpio. If, oh, God, Scorpio's so cool. Ah, uh, I'm um, sorry. One other big thing from the comics that I do need to mention about Nick Fury is Nick Fury in the comics is notorious for using LMDs, life model yeah. decoys. Because Fury can't be everywhere at once, but he can make a copy of himself that can, that if you kill, doesn't matter because Fury's still alive. Uses them everywhere. If you kill Nick Fury, you probably killed an LMD. Mm-hmm. And to the point where there was actually a storyline of a bunch of Fury LMDs who had gained sentience and decided that they don't want to be just disposable cannon fodder anymore and rebelled. Yeah. So, good stuff. Um, now... Shifting to more to the MCU. Originally, <laughs> if memory serves, the one of the best Marvel movies to date, Captain America and the Winter Soldier, was supposed to have been a Nick Fury movie. Right. And Marvel did what Marvel does. And I'm going to probably get into some isms here because there is a lot of isms associated with Marvel that we've sort of danced around. But I want to specifically state right now the racism and sexism that Marvel has in how it's used their characters and to some extent destroyed them. 
given right. the fact that originally the Winter Soldier was supposed to be a Nick Fury movie. And instead, they cut it and reduced it down. They give him a, a somewhat of a significant plot line in the movie. I will not lie. Captain America Winter Soldier in my top three favorite Marvel produced things. Right. All right. So to then see him get a show gave me a lot of hope. They're like, hey, maybe mm-hmm. they're finally going to do something with this character that has been there since day one, that is constantly in the background and has this amazing comic book history from two different universes they could pull from. And they chose to do nothing. But right. move on it. Right. Um, I... Again, we're, we're, we're talking a lot about the, the show as a whole, I think, because of the nature of how we're doing this. Um, but I, one of the... One of the one of the good parts about the show, I should say, actually, oh, let me start there. Uh, one of the good parts of the show is that we do get a lot of opportunity to see Nick Fury as a person. Nick Fury, up to this point, has largely been a force of nature. He is the person who created the Avengers. He's the person who gets Captain Marvel. Um, he's a person who gets he, he he basically reversed Fridge, where he dies, and that gives uh, Maria Hill some motivation, um, and they're the Avengers some motivation. Um, but he's a lot, he was a, very much a plot element for a lot of it. And so this is the first time we really got to see what shaped him into being the person he is. Like we saw a little bit of it in the Captain Marvel movie, um, but we see more of it here. Um, and Jackson does a great job with the material he's given to show this, this human side of, of Nick Fury. Uh, but that kind of points to, I think, the problem with this show is that to do that well, Nick Fury needs to be needs to have someone to bounce off of, right? He's someone at his level to kind of stand up against him. And while the show desperately tells us that all these people are at his level, they're not. They're just not, right? It, it, it's not as an actor, not as a character. Um, and so we have this awkward thing where I think it feels almost like Jackson's kind of trying to reduce himself to make room for the other characters and actors in the show. And it does nothing but just damage him and doesn't really help anybody else. We're, we're going to have to have a, a staunch disagreement on most of what you just said, not Sam okay. Jackson because Sam Jackson is spectacular, but the, the character growth and development that you're describing, because at every point, I'm, one of the reasons I'm doing a lot of this up front is so that we can then talk about the episodes maybe with, uh, for me, a little bit more of a balanced eye from when we go through them. Mm-hmm. Rather than having it like seep in around the corners where you feel like you're in a Shining movie when you're in the elevator and all that red blood starts flowing into the elevator. You're like, <laughs> So instead of having that, I'd rather have you drown now and then we resurrect you to then try to talk about the show. Fair enough. The... It doesn't do that. This falls into the trope that I've repeatedly mentioned, where you have your POC character, regardless of how skilled they are, being told they're incompetent, they suck. And that is what this show has done at every point in time. And to watch Nick Fury flounder and fail throughout the entire course of the show and have everyone telling him, man, you suck. You lost it. You're sitting in your warfare. You can't do this. You can't do that. And to constantly see that reinforces that entire premise it's what they did with sam it's what they did with nick it's what they do with miles and it's constantly primarily 
black male POCs that this is done to. Sure. It is diminishing them, their skill sets, their abilities, their competency, everything about them. And that is utterly insulting and frustrating. Like, oh, yeah. The fact that we only had to watch it last week is why I have not divorced myself from a lot of this because I'm trying to to figure out how I feel with it and how I want to engage with Marvel going forward. Right. Um, my, 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 I don't agree with any of that, actually. Um, my, my argument is that, um, not that his, not that his character development was good or that even he had development, but rather I meant to say that we see him as a human here, right? In a way that we haven't seen in the other movies, which is interesting. Um, where I was kind of going, but I want to make sure you had time to kind of talk about it too, uh, is that I don't think they do a good job of that. And I would even argue, I don't know if Nick Fury as a character needs that. But the larger point, what I originally kind of saying is that, um, to be blunt, Jackson has made a career of playing larger-than-life characters. And to write Nick Fury as someone who is grounded is hard for Jackson to do. He's got to either step back and... and not do the acting he's good at to fill that role, which it seems like he's trying to do in the show, or the other characters need to be just as hyperbolic and larger than life to kind of help balance that out. And neither of those happened is more what I'm saying. Um, uh, it, to me, it goes back to um, like when the, the, the James Bond movies recently, um, they're like, uh, Blofeld secretly his brother and his parents were killed. And it's like, I appreciate you trying to make James Bond more than just a cipher that randomly uh, punches people and hits on women, but also arguably James Bond needs to be just a character that does that, right? He maybe doesn't need to be a character that needs to be quite that humanized, or at least not in that way. Um, I thought Casino Royale did that better by showing he understood some of the costs of what he did, but also that he's kind of a sociopath. Nick Fury is supposed to be the person who has all the cards and this show tried to show, okay, what happens if he doesn't have all the cards? My, my point is that either you need to make the stakes so high that only Nick Fury can do this and therefore Jackson can do exactly what he does and be an ass kicker and wisecrack, but also be on the back foot or you need to get people who can step up and take that burden off of him. So that way that, that heightens nature is still there. And so it still feels like Nick Fury's presence, even if Jackson's playing a little more subtly than he usually does. And neither of those happen. So you have all the stuff that you talked about, which is, I completely agree is, is, is a frustrating ongoing trope. But on top of that, this doesn't feel like Nick Fury. No. Um, y- you see Jackson doing his damnedest to try to make this character work. And I give him all props. He, he, he does a reasonably good job with the material he's given. But you said this maybe the show should be called Nick Fury. I don't even know if Nick Fury is in this show, frankly. Mm. Um, but my concerns honestly go back to Captain Marvel with Nick Fury. I feel like Nick Fury can't exist at this point because the Captain Marvel movie ultimately, and I believe now irrevocably, damaged Nick Fury. Uh, because, and I can tell you the exact scene where it happens. When we find out the secret why is an eye patch is because of a fucking house cat. <laughs> and it's like your disability is now a gag. And obviously from personal perspective, it was like, oh look, disability is the as, as a point of humor, isn't that fucking funny? And so mm-hmm. I mean that's what pissed me off on a personal level. But separately, 
it, it was never addressed, right? Um, like, like in this show, he goes without his eye patch for most of the show. And so it's him putting the eye patch on is kind of like a big hero moment. It's like, but he's still half blind. And we're just not going to address that. We're just not going to engage with that. Um, no, because the only reason why he's half blind is because Nick Fury has to wear an eye patch. It's not a part of his character. Compare this to someone like Echo or Daredevil, where disability is very much put in their character. Um, so, I mean, when I saw the Nick Fury show, I was like, maybe they can redo this, you know, undo this. Maybe they can they can bring him out of this, you know, make him a cool character again. And I can see how on paper they tried to do that, but frankly, it's just a waste of, of Jackson as, as an actor. And that's on top of your absolutely valid concerns, which I completely agree with, is here's yet another show where the black lead it basically has to prove himself to absolutely everyone just to get to the end of the show to get to the starting point most other white protagonists get to be at. And there's all of that. There's the fact that they also destroyed, potentially destroyed Rhodey's character. Yeah. Which we're going to touch on. And uh, so I'm pausing here to go back. The show also has a lot of other drama associated with it. For instance, their use of AI art that we advise people about before. And if you're going to read into it, you can. The um, I think the director tried to say that they worked with AI specialists and artists and other people. I don't have the full details. I chose not to look into it because I had enough frustration with the show. Right. So if you want to know, I, I would pursue it. But I get the inclination it was a cost-cutting measure and they didn't care about artists. I take that from the fact how Marvel has not paid other artists and other creatives for the work they've taken and put into their shows beforehand. Yeah. Um, uh, I will say, uh, I, I, this is me drawing dots. This is me. Imagine me at the cork board with the red string pointing things. Out. So this is pure conspiracy theory mode at this point. Uh, but um, it feels like uh, we know that we know that Loki was pushed back. Loki season two was pushed back several months. It feels like Marvel was told, we've got to get a show out in this slot. Loki can't be in that slot anymore. This uh, uh, secret invasion doesn't require as much special effects. So just get the intro done and give it out there. That's how it feels. Whether it's accurate or not, I don't know. But I'm glad you bring it up because I think it's kind of an undertone of the whole show is there's a fair amount of that's good enough vibe to the whole show. Um, and we talked about this in She-Hulk, right? It's like even She-Hulk felt mm -hmm. like, you know, this is a kind of a worse version of, of uh, WandaVision. Secret Invasion is a worse version of Captain America and Winter Soldier. <laughs> it's like you did this show, you did this show a couple of years ago, it was better then, why is this version worse? I think Marvel had three priorities for the, for the, for the past couple phases. Guardians of the Galaxy, mm -hmm. three, the Loki TV show, and WandaVision. After mm -hmm. that, everything just sort of slotted in as where they thought they'd be important. Because I know that even in interviews, Anthony Mackie didn't know half of the stuff going on with Marvel about Captain America that he was supposed to have been doing. So that already yep. shows there's a total lack of interest in those characters. Mm -hmm. And and I do that and I make that comment specifically also for Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness because as much as I love Sam Raimi... Sam Rainey and the other people didn't watch WandaVision. So there's no connectivity. They've stated they don't know what happened to that show. So right. 
there's a lack of concern for that movie, but it felt like everything is geared towards Loki that they really wanted to succeed. Guardians of the Galaxy 3, so they could round out James Gunn's trilogy and get some big money from the theater. And WandaVision, because it was a such a great and unique idea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm. we'll talk about the show shortly. I just need to <laughs> I'm try and get it all out. This is the problem of us having watched it so recently. It's all in, in my head right now. And this is the first time that Eddie and I have talked about it because we've, we actively don't talk about this so that you all can be tortured by listening to us go through it. <laughs> Watching us disagree and me violently trying to re-agree. <laughs> and this is probably the strongest I felt about a show in a long time because I, I admit it early on, I, I am a, a, a Marvel fanboy. I'm a more Marvel than DC I was invested in uh, Nick Fury and Rhodey because I saw Iron Man in the theater twice when it first came out. Mm-hmm. And that reveal of Nick Fury at the end of the show said coming out was bah, mind-blowing. And getting yep. to see Rhodey say next time made me think he's going to suit up his war machine. I'm going to get my, my black superhero from Marvel in a big-budget movie. And I had the rug pulled out from under me then. But I was like, got back up. You know what? Maybe next time. And I'm done with maybe next times. I got no Very more. Very Lucy in the football, right? Yep. I am no longer Charlie Brown. Now I'll just be um, minus with my blanket. Since we're in this zone, um, and, and I mean, I, I, I'm going to say that I do, th- I do think there's some things about the show I actually do like. Um, but Olivia Coleman is exceptional in everything she does. Huh? Olivia was Coleman it? is exceptional in everything she does. Absolutely. Olivia Coleman was was the highlight of this show. And that's that's frustrating because it should have been Jackson, but Olivia Coleman was amazing and I really could say nothing about her. Bad about her. Um, but on top of all this other stuff, we have this really unfortunate thread of of Russian apologism happening through the whole show. Mm-hmm. Which on top of everything else is really fucking uncomfortable. Um, because the show primarily takes place in Moscow, which is fine. You know, the Marvel Universe should take place in places outside of New York. I, I actually generally agree with that trend. And they should take place outside of North America and Western Europe, too. Um, so that's nice. Uh, but the whole show, spoilers for the show that we're talking about anyway, um, basically says all the Moscow aggression against the U.S., it's the Skrulls. And they even go up to the line, but they don't actually say it. They go up to the line and say all of Moscow's aggression, period, is because of aliens. And that's deeply fucking uncomfortable in a world where the Ukrainian war exists. Yes, it is. I thought you were also going to go and mention the incredibly problematic politics about immigration that the show is literally dealing with. How, I mean, yeah, scrolls, that, that, scrolls are immigrants. I wasn't even going to go into that, frankly, because that's oh yeah, but that's right. It's a whole other thing. Is is the immigrants are evil and need to be exterminated? Now, the show makes an extremely half-hearted attempt to lump this on to an American president to say, oh well, that American president's xenophobic, and it's all his fault that everyone hates the scrolls. But really, nobody stops him even though several characters have plenty of opportunities to stop him from doing exactly that thing, um, which kind of feels a bit like, well, yes, we admit that America has a strong problem with immigrants, but also none of the rest of the world could do anything about that. And the show itself 
doesn't refute the president's concern, right? It's like, the, according to looking at the show as written, the way it's presented, he's not entirely wrong. There are actually aliens that are infiltrating the world that will try to destroy it. That is objectively true. And it's an awful, horrible message. There are humans on the world that are actively trying to destroy it. Right. So it's... Right. Yeah. And, and also, I mean, it, it also it, it also goes into uh, the other, 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 other thing I'm going to bitch about. Remember in She-Hulk, when I said She-Hulk points out that all shows are ultimately about the this, this, this super serum, and then maybe we should get away from that trope, and all shows shouldn't end with the super serum being the big MacGuffin to give people powers. And what does this show do? Has a MacGuffin about someone's people's blood being used to give people superpowers again. You, you, the more we talk about the show, the less I really want to go into individual episodes. I want to let you know. Um, <laughs> but there are some I mean, other points that we I think we need to bring up because of the type of show that we are, and we like to bring these things up and discuss them. Mm-hmm. Um, wow, I'm trying to remember what it was now because that was. Uh, pertinent point that threw me off sorry just from a plot perspective now from a from a plot perspective the fact that they didn't call in any of the avengers is unreasonable there's no good excuse for it at all in fact there's actually a bad excuse because someone in the show actually says why don't you call in the avengers and nick fury says it's not their problem it very much is their problem (laughs) it's personal which oh and and even if I would, I would give the show the concede at that point, which I will not. There is no reason they couldn't have called in Sam, Bucky, the fucking Dora Milaje that have no superpowers, and they would have like wiped the floor with everyone, and it would have been a day. We'd have been done. I, I okay, so Nick Fury is literally the reason why the Avengers exist. He said, "There's an alien threat. I'm gonna get a bunch of super people together to deal with the alien threat." Fast forwards 15 years later, there's an alien threat, and Nick Fury goes, nah, I don't need superhumans to deal with that. That could have been a cool moment to say, this is how I have changed as a character. Right? That doesn't happen. Uh, uh, and so it's just... So I'm going I'm to make the... I'm going to suggest that going into the episode-by-episode breakdown of this show is not going to be as useful as we would normally like it to be. Uh, there are there are six episodes we have to get through. Um, I, I think it might be more beneficial for us to kind of pull out specific things to talk out talk about at this point. Um, we're at if you want to go through, we can. And we're still but, complaining, huh? Because we're at the forty minute marker and we're still complaining. I'm right. sorry. Uh, analyzing. <laughs> well, the reason why I, I suggest that is because um, there's another structural thing that frustrates me on top of all those stuff like, like let's say for the moment all of those things were not they were you know they picked a different country they they, they fixed the immigration narrative they made nick fury the badass supposed to be all of that let's assume all that is true for some reason okay you pick in events where mo- lots and lots of characters are revealed to be scrolls and that changes the shape of the universe that they're in we get two one of them is Rhodey, and one of them is a character we've barely seen outside of two Black Panther movies. Um, 
So the whole time, like I said, we said earlier, the whole, the whole, what made this secret invasion of Marvel comic book event cool was you never knew who was going to be a scroll. You knew by episode two absolutely everyone who was a scroll. There was no other change after that. Uh, and then you jump to episode six, where, to your point, um, uh, Nick Fury is secretly not Nick Fury in the cl uh, climactic scene. It turns out the edge replaced by somebody else. It's not an LMD this time, it's another scroll. But it is the most obvious answer at that point. It's like, of course, Nick Fury is not going to do this because nothing about what we know about Nick Fury, Nick Fury would ever do this. It's the, hey, I, I need this super soldier serum or whatever we're calling it this week. The bad guy says, I'll, if you give me this, I'll stop doing the thing. Nick Fury, who trusts zero people on the planet, goes, sure, I'll give you the thing and walks directly into the trap and turns out it's not Nick Fury. Because right, Nick Fury would never do that. So it's like the only reason why it's a twist is because the alternative would have been even worse writing. <laughs> so it, from top to bottom, everything that could have been cool about this show, it's a checklist of just, we're not going to do that. Um, and it's not, and what's worst about all of this, and again, I keep trying to work my way back to this point, is that there's lots of individual scenes that are interesting, right? Like Fury's relationship with Talos was that just a lot of times fun to watch. Like, you know, it, it, it's very much two old soldiers who are just tired of this shit, who are trying to joke about their burnout, but also because of the way toxic masculinity works, they can't really talk openly about their feelings about having to deal with this until it's too far gone. And so there's some interesting stuff between the two of them. Granted, how Talos got here is a complete mystery. Why Talos is a completely different character from Captain Marvel is unknown. Um, and they kind of have to use this as a way to reinforce, oh, by the way, Nick Fury is old and out of date, even though he's completely not, is frustrating. But the actual conversations by two good actors is actually interesting. All right. Taking taking your concerns into 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 our mind right now. How about we attempt to structure similar to the regular episode, but we don't do a synopsis and we pull out the pieces for like, okay. we'll pull out pieces from episodes one and two resurrection and promises. Okay. And fine. then after we talk about those, we'll try to move on to like the next two episodes and we write it off with the final two. Then we can try to right. touch on all the different points in a more co concise manner other than me ranting and you trying to nicely match my energy. And another thing. <laughs> Also, this motherfucker. Right now, okay, cool. So let's talk about resurrection and promises. Right. We've already covered um, the Moscow thing. <laughs> everything that we've said pertains to everything we say going forward. If if we don't come back and comment on something we've already stated, right? Um, I did enjoy. I'm gonna give something I enjoyed seeing Nick Fury basically beam down to Earth like it was from Star Trek. <laughs> oh my! I like it. Yes. I, I was like, hey, I could be Cisco. Right. Think about that, Sam Jackson. Right. I did like Maria Hill coming back. I, I've always thought that the actor was great, and I, and I like Maria Hill as a character. And then she gets fucking shot. <laughs> so no kidding, it shot. She got fridged. She was she got, the most say, fridged character fridged. I've seen in ages. And ages. Like, let's, let's take this amazing character that Maria Hill is in the comics and literally make her 
the justification for Nick Fury's vengeance, which is not only the definition of fridging, but also short of being chopped up and went to a fridge, the exact instant that the tame fridging comes from. Murdering someone's friend or romantic interest to provide motivation to a male superhero. Ugh. And I don't remember now if it's in the second episode or not, but literally he meets her mother and the mom says, don't let my daughter have died for nothing. Like, oh, right. God. So maybe if we have the mom say it, it won't really be fridging in people's minds. That's what I'm imagining the writers are thinking in the writer's room. What if you say, what if you say the quiet part out loud? That's okay, right? Um, but, I mean, you know, another, another good thing about episode one is we got to see Bilbo Baggins again. That's always good. The Everett Ross reveal. Not shocking. <laughs> But it was it was nice to see. I knew it wasn't Everett Ross because of that uh, ascot he was wearing. It's like Everett Ross wouldn't wear an ascot. <laughs> that was that was my Sherlockian instinct, if you would. Right, right. Um, or Watsonian to be more even more on the nose. <laughs> um, uh, but again, like uh. uh like that scene that between pool. Ross and that agent, though, was a beautiful setup for like that yeah. could have been so much potential. Like I figured it out, like some low ranking agent that, you know, has done nothing but dedicate their entire years to figuring all this out to try to give it to a supervisor that they trust to have that person be a scroll. Like beautiful setup. Yeah. Wasted. And um, we had the potential for something that we really haven't seen, which is non-fictional spy agencies and how they live inside the MCU, right? Because with Ross, we've seen bits of the CIA, although his connection to CIA has is, is always been a bit vague from the Black Panther movies. Um, but now we see, well, hey, how does MI6 fit into all this relationship, right? You know, in, in a post-Shield world, how does MI6 work? And so we have Fallsworth come in and it's like, okay, cool, great. Turns out people in the game of six are complete psychopaths. But okay, at least they're entertaining, you know? <laughs> but and it's funny, like, first of all, you're right. Uh, uh, the actor who plays Falsworth is just fantastic. But also, there's this, one of the weird things I actually genuinely like about the show is she's very much... I, t- I take back one thing I said. She's the only person who was up to uh, Jackson's level in terms of, I need to match his energy, right? She is very much... Nick Fury's equivalent in that she will do absolutely anything to do what she thinks is, is the right the right cause. And she does it so gleefully that you you can't help but be charmed by her. And she doesn't really stop being that character, even though she does things that we drive and go, oh, that's nice. But then she turns around and does something else. It's like, oh, she's manipulating everyone. Okay. <laughs> but that should have been Maria Hill. And that's my frustration. That should have been Maria's, Maria Hill's role in this story. You mean how they not just the characters brought off screen to bring into this? Introduced a whole bunch of new characters to carry most of the weight, most of the plot elements, so they can then probably send those characters on to future movies while they shelve our characters that we've loved up to this point in time. Right. Mm-hmm. Almost a Transformers movie with Rodimus Prime, if you will. You got to uh, touch. Down, down, down. I, I will apologize for Rodimus Prime, but not this time. <laughs> Fucking he, hot he, he, he got um, Optimus killed and he knows what he did but no that was part of like the problem from 
halfway through the first episode, feeling like more and more new characters being introduced meant less screen time for the characters that we wanted to see grow and develop. I know I originally said that this should have been called like the Fury Files or Fury to reinforce it with Sam Jackson's show. But that is also me, anyone that knows me, half joking because this is not Fury's show. Fury is a secondary character in his own show, is a primary show about Gravik and to a lesser extent Gaia. Those are our main characters following their actions throughout the course of the show. And much like Captain America Winter Soldier, Fury is a second to tertiary character in a vehicle that was supposed to have been his. And you know that just from the final big punch him up, we get the end, like our superhero moment. It's where you would yep. have Steve fighting Petroc the Leaper. You'd have Sam fighting Petroc the Leaper. You'd have Thor fighting Petroc the Leaper. I just want right. people to beat Petroc the Leaper right now for some reason. <laughs> but, uh, you'd have your heroic person in that final confrontation. Okay. You know my stance on Petroc the Leaper. You know how I feel about him. Petroc the Leaper is a more credible villain than Gravik. How so? I mean, that, that, because regardless of how ridiculous Petroc is in both Captain America and in um, uh, Captain America and the Winter Soldier, at least his motivations were believable. And he chewed the right amount of scenery to make it work. Gravik has probably the worst flaw of a a supervillain and B a shapeshifting supervillain, which is that he's boring to watch. And that happens episode one, right? Episode two. Gravik's just dull. I don't care about Gravik. I don't want anything bad to happen. I don't want anything to happen to him. I want him to go away. Oh, God. why don't you cut all the scenes with Gravik and, and give me more of Fallsworth and Fury, please? You know what? Like, Fallsworth, Fury, and Talos just going on a rampage, murdering evil scrolls. That should have been an amazing show, right? <laughs> it's a couple, a bunch you, of old guys trying to get one last job. <laughs> I, I too, have seen the movie Red and Red 2, <laughs> now that you mentioned that. I'm glad you saw so where I was going would, with that. <laughs> this would be Marvel's Red or... Let's find it. Actually, that be Marvel, amazing, though? if Marvel's doing it, it would probably be more of an an off orange is what I'm thinking for a Marvel show. Agent Orange. Oh, I didn't even make that joke in my brain. That's so bad. <laughs> um, but I mean, so but and then, yeah, episode one, episode two, we're also getting into the, the, the frustrating analogy we talked about, which is that, um, hey, we're refugees, we have no place to go. And everyone except Fury basically says, like even Fury initially says, well, just find someplace else. We'll find you a different planet, but you can't come here. And I will say, living in the UK right now where we have our prime minister basically literally trying to shove people onto boats and trying to sell that as a good thing, that's pretty uncomfortable. (sighs) For the moment, we don't have our 45 and I stress for the moment with how the world is going and the shenanigans mm-hmm. are going on with that. But yeah. And even if I wanted to be incredibly generous and give it that Captain Marvel, Carol Danvers stated they would find the scrolls a home and Nick Fury said, yeah, 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 we'll do that. Why hasn't Carol who's exploring the universe done that? I, I'm 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 deviating from your point to go back to an actual movie plot point that they said. Sure. 
30 plus years ago. Carol is running around the galaxy. Fury is on Earth. So right. we will find you a home means a person that's here that calls the other person get up, gets updates. Fury cannot get in a spaceship and fly around the galaxy to find your home. So the lack of Captain Marvel in this show also hurts it. Yeah, absolutely. And it's even worse than that because this show, again, we're still in the episode one, two zone here, um, explicitly calls them refugees. And, and uh, 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 not Grant Gravick, uh, what, I already blanked on his name. Oh, my, my. The character's already Talos. following him at Talos. Um, Talos is already talking to, to Nick and bringing up valid points, which is we've been waiting a long time. You keep putting us off. When are we going to have a home? Because if you don't give us a home, we're going to make a home, right? That's where my people are going. And at that point in time, it could have been good, right? Because it goes back to a shittier version of an earlier show, the Flag Smashers were in a similar position. This is the world we inherited. We made our best move of it. We're, we have a really valid point. We just have one or two people who are maybe going a step too far. And the whole show is based around that tension of you have some good points, but this isn't the correct path. Gravik should have been that. Gravik should have been the, I see where you're coming from, but maybe not this direction. Instead, we have Talos going, my people are frustrated. We want a home. You've promised a home. Where are you at? And then Nick Fury goes, sorry, bro. And that's basically the end of the conversation. Talos goes, okay, cool. It's, it's all good. And that's it. And then it's like, oh no, graphics keeps pushing this. It's like, we'll we'll just make it work, Nick. It's okay, I trust you. And it's like, no, you had a point there, man. That works even less because Talos was part of that conversation with, I'm going back to it, Captain Marvel, literally in the fucking room when all that was established. Yeah. Talos knows what Fury can and can't do and knows that it's not Fury exploring the world. It shouldn't be Fury, what are you doing? Fury, what the fuck is Carol doing? I want to stress Carol's fault in this entire thing who is in the universe. I can stress Fury because the Avengers should have fucking remembered Thanos's world that he was hanging out on and Thanos is dead now. Why can't the scrolls go in there if they want to? Like this movie, the reason I hate this show is not the litany of things that we've said. Like that that makes me really dislike it. I hate it because it makes me retroactively dislike a decade of movies I've watched and enjoyed. Mm-hmm. She Hulk poked fun of them, and I was like, "Oh, that's just silly and irrelevant." But it didn't take established characters and destroy them and those movies. This does that. Well, and that's my frustration. It's like I, uh, we talked about before. I I continue to like a certain amount of She Hulk because I felt like Marvel was on some level acknowledging it, but. As we were recording that, I had been watching Secret Invasion, and I knew where that was leading. And so that's why I kind of had to quell my enthusiasm, because you can't be self-aware and then do nothing with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what happens here. But, I mean, to go back to, to, to these points, um, we have the same problem that She-Hulk had, and, and to a degree um, uh, Moon Knight had, which is, you posit something and then you start to invite questions to the audience you probably don't want them asking. And the big question I had was Talos goes to Nick and says, we have millions of people thinking much to you. And Nick is like surprised. There are millions of scrolls here. Okay. One, how did you not know that? 
you were the reason why the scrolls are here, Nick. Did you not do a head count at any point in time? But let's put that aside for a moment. Let's say Nick is bad with numbers, which I think is a valid thing because he's also a crappy spy. But two, there was a five-year gap where a whole bunch of people were missing. You would think after that, people would be really concerned about who is what and where. There would seem to be like a, in fact, I would even point out that there was an entire show about that exact point called Captain America. It wasn't called Captain America and Winter Soldier, but you know what I'm saying. You know what show I'm talking about. It was a show about that exact point, right? This entire show have, could have been these scrolls took the lives of people who lost in a snap, and then they come back, and now they have to deal with that. That would have been using the exact same structure of the show would have been a much better setup because then it's the now there are duplicates of people who's real that would have been cool uh that that is a hard one to follow up with but your mention of captain america specifically now with the reveal of roadie that we are, we've already talked about and roadie is going to be a point i'm going to make in a second for uh the promises episode then that makes the potentially the interaction between sam and roadie pointless in something that 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 Riva, the scroll roadie, would not have done. Yep. Why would the scroll roadie want Sam to take up the mantle to be Captain America instead of having John Walker, a government tool, be Captain America? That makes no sense. Like, I w- break. I will say this is a bit of meta knowledge, but um, uh, Chris shared with me an article I already read about the director and, and his reactions to it, which he basically doesn't give a crap about how people feel about the show. But one of the things that he was told is that he needed to get Rhodey back to where he was at the end of Civil War. That was the direct line he got from Marvel for this show. So the Rhodey we see at the end of this show. So we know Rhodey has been a scroll since Civil War. And that does not track. Because we've seen Rhodey bleed. Like just thinking logistically, we've seen Rhodey bleed at a couple of different points. Mm-hmm. Also during Endgame in the war where he's like crawling around the floor, there's no reason why Scroll Rhodey would not have gotten up to do something to save themselves and their race. It makes no sense. But yeah. it also destroys all the character development, those moments with Tony and the evolution of a character of, I will say, the first predominant black character in an MCU movie. Because Rhodey was half of Iron Man. Mind you, it was Terrence Howard. Who right. was that roadie? But still, that character themselves was there. Like, goes and the back worst to my part is, comment from Marvel. if you needed a person in the government who's close to the president's, whose character has been written very differently all of a sudden to be the scroll, Sharon Carter is right there. Mm-hmm. It would have explained perfectly her heel turn in Captain America and Winter Soldier if she had been a scroll. And it keeps roadie where he was. But yes, it's just. Ugh. Then we could have our two main villains in the show be black dudes getting beat up primarily by white people and Sam Jackson helping. Right. And there, there are two tropes here, one of which I touched on. And the other one, I have been pushing for more inclusiveness in Marvel, in superhero media and everything else. One of the things I actively push against is having your POC person be a, a shapeshifter or be transformed into something else. For instance, some of the fantastic forecasting, they wanted to be digs being the fantastic four. Yes. Right. They wanted to be digs to be the thing. No, because you've removed like people visually seeing a black character as a superhero. Instead, they get to see uh, the orange Rocky Benjamin J. Grimm. 
dehumanizing a character. For shapeshifters, you right. cast them, but next move you can decide, you know what? I want to have a white character instead. You're the same character, but you're no longer that black character and you're removing them. And instead, we have constantly white reinforced her- heroes and black failures and black villains. I'm counting Nick Fury in the failure column with those of the black characters. As of the show, yeah. And my my final punch for the episode two, then we can move on if you want to, is a conversation between Rhodey the Scroll and Nick. They're trying to have a conversation about being black in America. And the right. show itself is trying to equate being a scroll with being a black, a marginalized person. Yeah. Utterly offensive. Like, and coupled with, I didn't look at the writer's room because I didn't want to be more upset, but I'm envisioning a primarily white writer's room writing the story. Can't speak to it. That's my assumption. That offensive. And I think that is a scene that broke me as if you were on Marvel. Like I got nothing left. My, my, mm. my Marvel gas tank is empty. I think I'm going to jump on my motorbike instead of my, uh, my spider mobile. <laughs> I think I'm going to watch the umbrella Academy for a while. <laughs> Speaking of which I finished season one, uh, this Ooh. morning. All right. Excellent. I, I want to talk about that later, but that'll be off air. Sweet. So I let's have, go into episode have, three and four. I have concerns. Oh, okay. That's fine. Episode episode eight. You know, we may deviate talk about umbrella Academy for a second. Uh <laughs> Young Victor in the nannies. That's all I'm going to say. I want to come back to you talk about that later. All right. So episodes three and four. Betrayed and beloved. Uh, So we actually get to see that Nick Fury was in fact married to a a scroll, which was pretty cool. Unfortunately, Nick Fury made her stay disguised as a human for the course of their entire relationship, which is pretty shitty to do to another, another being. Yep. Also, I'm, I'm conflicted on this point, but um, on the one hand, when you take a supporting character and turn them into a lead, you sometimes have to manufacture backstory to get that character the, the context it needs, and I recognize that. Um, but the way this show handles it, she feels like she comes out of nowhere. Like, it's just, I've been secretly married for 20 years. And it's just like, when? He he did mention it. I will give the show that. It was mentioned, I think, in Captain America, the Winter Soldier, and some other scene, I think, in Hawkeye's barn somewhere along the way. So technically, it was mentioned, but okay. it might have been mentioned as a joke or not. It's that weird line where you have to go back and rewatch it. So I'll, I'll recognize that there was... Very mild setup that they were building off of that I missed. I'm willing to, to recognize that because he wouldn't have told people he's married to a scroll. That, that that's fine. That part doesn't bother me. Yeah. Um, it just he seemed okay. I, I think the larger point is not so much he was married, but like that he likes poetry. That I think that's <laughs> the bigger problem for me. What? Well, all right. I don't need to know why that out of all of this is the bigger problem. No, no, no. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm being hyperbolic. Um, uh, uh, I, I can point- envision Nick Fury sitting around, cleaning his gun, and uh, quoting some some Edgar Allen to himself, like the Raven, Nevermore. Maybe Annabelle Lee, because she's hanging out under the sea. See that that feels more Daredevil to me, I guess. But 
Daredevil is all like Catholic goth and emo. Uh, but no, hey, there's no, we, I mean, there's I, nothing I, wrong with, with being a goth. I'm not speaking for a friend, speaking for a friend. <laughs> right. Those of us who've worked on vampires certainly have never, ever experienced gothic before. What are you talking about? But you're, you're making more pertinent points instead of me just uh, now joking. I, I, am I? I don't know. Um, I, I think it's more the point that uh, you're right. It's it's kind of shitty, and, and she does point out a couple of times that it's, it's shitty of him to do that. But again, it kind of doesn't go anywhere. Right, I mean, like there's a payoff. She eventually reveals himself, and he kisses her. It's like, cool. He kisses the the, the alien face, and then that that's great. Um, and I reckon, but it, it again, right after She Hulk, in back of my head is going, is this character motivated just because they didn't want to pay for the CGI for her scroll makeup? Right. <laughs> it really feels that. I want to say me. they had an obnoxious budget, though. If I remember, right. I think it was like obscene. I think it was more than the other shows for fewer episodes. Well, I guess Where'd you have to go? pay for Sam Jackson and Olivia Coleman. Maybe, maybe it's that, and also maybe to pay for all the bribes to the Russian government. I guess I don't know. Or they had to pay a bunch of money for episode six, that five minute that we got. Fair, fair enough. That actually, maybe to be fair, that might actually be a huge chunk of it because there was a lot of CGI in that one yeah. twenty-minute bit. Uh, so, all right, in this episode, I guess we should really kind of talk about the episodes of meandering. Although I'm having more fun meandering than I am talking or thinking about this episode. <laughs> Um, stuff happens. Really, the, the scrolls are infiltrating, uh, and they're making super scrolls with powered DNA to push a conflict. Okay, make sure I understand this right. They're they make super to... scroll, super scroll. Right, Gravik didn't give powers to nobody, but Gravik. Right, he says super scrolls plural, but he really doesn't mean that. Um, but what I'm saying is like they're trying to push. They're infiltrating to try to push the U.S. and Russia closer to conflict and then use that as blackmail to convince one or both governments to make them take the Earth as their home. I think that's their plan. And I say think right. because the show does not make that plan clear at all beyond just they're infiltrating the government and starting war for reasons. Putting putting aside all my, my animus and bitterness, Talos's plan is – to be the model minority concept and say, hey, we're great people. We should right. be able to reside on Earth. I will do this impressive thing to prove to you that I'm worth being here. Talos' right. arc. No one wants any of that nonsense. Like, Gaia doesn't want his daughter. Gravik says that's bullshit. He's been trying that 30 years. hasn't worked. Um, Gaia wants a more active approach, but maybe not to the extent of Gravik. Gravik says, and this is the quotation marks, that we could potentially start a war and use that to our own benefit, maybe destroy all of humanity and rule Earth, or get them to work with us. Gravik's actual plan, which then makes everything else not make any sense, is he wants the harvest that he and other scrolls collected for Fury at the in at the battle. So only person knows where it is is Fury. So of course, my plan then is if I, if I was Gravik, I would send waves of people to kill Fury. So his dead body can then tell me where this one item is I want more than anything else in existence. Right. right. I will call his wife and have his wife try to kill him. I'll send soldiers to try to kill him because, of course, I could get answers from a dead corpse. Well, it's funny because now that you brought that up, that actually brings up another plot that I probably missed initially, which is that you, you mentioned it. And it was, this is something I knew, but I didn't think through. 
the scrolls are the people who collected all the DNA that comprised the yes. harvest. Why didn't they save some for themselves? Because at that point in time, they were still thinking this plan was going to work, is what the show tells us. I am stating full up. I don't buy it. But that's what the show is telling us. Well, right. right. But I think the, the, the problem I'm having is that I believe Tatalos and Gaia would be fine with that. It's like, no, we trust Nick. We'll do what he says. But the show is also telling us that graphics have this plan for a while now. So it seems like what happened is sometime between Endgame and here, which granted is an undisclosed number of years, but at least a couple. He went from completely believing Nick Fury to wanting to put the world on the precipice of nuclear annihilation to get superpowers. And I just feel like either he's a really bad planner, which is fair, but the show paints him as a mastermind. Or the show forgot to, didn't realize how little time it's been. I think, I think, I feel like at some point in time, it's the, oh, there's five years of the, of the snap before we have to worry about this, but like, no, Endgame happens after that, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. This five-year gap is, uh, the, the battle occurs after the end of the five-year gap. So there's not that much time between. It's not seven or eight years. So there's not much time for him to, to have this radical change and for the scroll to not notice. Yeah. So like it's, and it explicitly tells us that it was Gravik and his team that went and did it. Right. So even if Talos and Gaia trusted Fury and Gravik trusted him, there's no reason why he wouldn't have, well, I'll just get a little bit for the side just in case one day. In like four months from now, I want to do something. So it's. Right. Right. Um, Talos and Fury discover that through uh, Fallsworth that Gravik is going to try to la launch some nukes. They get information. They break into someone's home. Turns out they're a scroll. They kill him, and then they call Gaia, and Gaia gets the codes from. This is a big reveal. All the scrolls are keeping the people they're impersonating in cells in New Skrullus under the base, so they can have access to their memories. So she takes those memory, gives it to Fury, and them stops the nukes. She gets killed by Gravic finger quotes. But I say all that, so I come back to one point. They're keeping all the people and at New Skrullus in Russia, under the base, that is radioactive, so much so that people cannot exist there. So I would assume that means there's no radiation in a basement. Yeah, as we all know, radiation only goes up and out, it doesn't go down. Mm -hmm. That's just science. And we've established that potentially Rhodey's been there since Civil War. Right. That's a long so time for radiation Wars, exposure. It turns out is actually going to be just Rhodey recovering from chemotherapy for the entire show, movie. Uh, yeah, I just want to, you, you mentioned plot holes. I thought I would bring up another little plot hole that I help it along. Right. And it also makes Fury and Talos' mission totally irrelevant. They both failed. Gaia got them the information they needed. Why didn't Gaia just do that in the first place? Right. Also, in this two episode bumper is when we, I mean, we already knew that Rhodey was a scroll, but we find out Rhodey's mission, and I use that extremely loosely, which is kind of two parts. A, uh, get close to President Ritson and push him towards obligatory nuclear uh, Armageddon, and then B, kill Nick Fury, which is fine. You know, 
scroll minions infiltrating governments and assassinating people is what scrolls are generally supposed to do. But the whole in these episodes, Rhodey hates Fury. Hates. And I do not know why. It's said vaguely that he's mad because Rhodey used them to do special ops missions. I'm like, but is that what you're doing right now? Mm-hmm. Is literally spying for the scrolls? So it can't be the job that you're mad at. It had to have been the objective that you're mad at. But if that's the case, why are you mad at Ro or why are you mad at Fury? You should be mad at Talos. I assume that they had one hot, torrid night of, of wild, passionate time. And Fury, as an asshole, doesn't call anybody back. It's like, <laughs> we, we did it. Uh, I lost your number. I'm sorry. And he doesn't know that it's it's uh, Riva, I think Vara. it's Re- Ra- Vara as a scroll. So he, do- he doesn't know which scroll. So he doesn't know it's a person that he d- should have called back the next day. Boom. Record. You know what? I'll buy it. That, that's canon as far as I'm concerned. It would work for this show if, but I'm just saying, um, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. The other thing that doesn't make sense to me is they replaced the heads of other countries like the prime minister. Uh, they, at, they had Shooter McGavin as a, as a equivalent Fox news host running around Yep, for uh, all my happy Gilmore fans. Why can't they just replace a uh, rent house? They're getting enough scrolls to do it. He's easy to kidnap. We see them Literally, wheel him like- shortly. We see them wheel him around the hospital with like four guards in a minute. Yeah, I mean, like five seconds. Okay, so uh, uh, scroll looks stuff as Rody gets close to the president. He's already there, right? Say, hey, Mister President, I need to talk to you. Pull you off side for a second, which happens several times in the show. So clearly, he has that level of trust. The president murders Ritson, changes his face to Ritson, points to the guy at the ground, goes, "That guy's an alien," and just becomes President Ritson. Done. I, I give you, you don't even need to do that. You bring in one other scroll and say, hey, Mr. President, when you talk for a minute, let's step in here. This is uh, agent so-and-so, agent so-and-so. They knock out Ritson, agent so-and-so looks like Ritson. They take Ritson mm-hmm. back to Russia for radiation poisoning, and they have all Ritson's memories, and they can constantly access them. So fake Ritson can do everything other Ritson was going to do. They've asked questions. Right. It's uh, – uh, it goes back to kind of a larger – trope that's frustrating is the only way for the hero to look good is everyone else looks like an idiot. Um, and Fury shouldn't need that help. And again, it's, it's even more frustrating than that because if Gravik were interesting, I could say, okay, maybe Gravik's just bad at his job, but he's interesting, he's compelling, but he's not. He's presented as like, I've got all the pieces in place. It's like, buddy, you're playing checkers. You know, There's just nothing going on here. <laughs> I, as the audience member... For a event that is known to be constant twists and turns and you never know what's going on, I saw every step of this coming. And so it's like, why am I smarter than the alien invaders who's supposed to present ostensibly good shape shifting and replacing people? And because it, it makes no sense at no point in time, there wasn't another scroll that came to Fury as Gaia or Talos to tell him something if Fury takes it to act on it and then it will encounter Gary, Gary Talos moments later and be right. like, shit, how did that, like, that would have been good. That would have been yeah. showing that there's, there's shenanigans going on. Just not, well, let's just hang out for a minute. We have some good talks, we have some good speeches that are amazing, but they don't connect anything. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, episode four, beloved, is there anything else you want to add before we move on to the final two? Uh, this is a scene that I should not like as much as I do because all the things we've said. Um, but when he, she had, a, when Fury slips his wife a drink and plans a tracker on her and goes, oh, it's liquid tracker. And I'm like, okay, that is some straight up shield nonsense tech and I'm here for it, right? It's the, this when makes no sense. slips it to, to scroll roadie, right? Or to Reva. Sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I mixed my scrolls up. <laughs> what are the odds? It's the first time it's ever happened in this show. Um, uh, but yeah, he slips Reva the drink and it's like, I planted a, a, a liquid tracker on you. And it's like, yeah, I'm completely here for nonsense shield spy tech. I feel like there should have been a lot more nonsense speed, uh, shield spy tech in this show, frankly. Um, but the problem is that the liquid tracker just really comes up with the, oh, we need to have a reason now to put a tracker on him. So I guess we'll call it liquid tracker. It, it feels lazy, which is sad because I wanted it to be more. It's like Nick going, no, I have a robot doppelganger and I have a parachute in my shoe and just dumb stuff like that. It should have been bonkers <laughs> super science. And, that, and our only, only nod kind to of that. moment we had with that. Our only nod that it's a face mask that they've used since Captain America and the Winter Soldier with Natasha using little yeah, face and, masks and, like and, other people. And another character makes fun of it immediately. Because <laughs> it's old tech. Um, yeah. All right. We'll move on to the final two episodes if you don't have anything else. Yeah, it's gone. I will comment, though, that that was a good, I want to say, five or ten, I think five or ten thousand dollar bowl of bourbon. I myself would drink it to have and deal with a liquid tracker later. Just saying. <laughs> um, Fury must have also planted liquid tracker himself because he was also drinking to prove it that it wasn't poison. So he can track himself. Hey. Um, <laughs> actually, Harvest- it up, I do want I, I do want to say real quick. Um, I did actually like that scene because that was the only time those two characters felt like they actually had a relationship in the entire show. Mm-hmm. That scene where they're sniping each other over drinks felt unforced in a way that the rest of the relationships never felt. And it feels like also maybe it had been part ad-libbed or something because it felt very natural and it stood out because a lot of their relationships don't feel that way. Because Don Cheadle is a great actor and Samuel L. Jackson is a, is a monument to acting that should be getting, yes. getting a lot more props than he has. Absolutely. Uh, Harvest. What can we really say about that one? It's, it's when... Scroll Rhodey convinces Ritson that they should make an attack. Rhodey dresses down uh, a general, which would never happen. Never, never, never. I don't have anything really to say so, about it. Okay. On the one hand, I feel like if you're going to call your secret collection of DNA as a worst case scenario a harvest, you're kind of asking for trouble. But on the other hand, this is the same guy who said, let's get a bunch of superpower people together and call them the Avengers. So maybe this is par for the course for Fury. Well, it's better than calling them the Revengers. <laughs> it's a, a Thor joke for, for people. Yes, yes. But it's it's like, okay. Um, it, 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 again, I feel like there's a, a, a fatalism to Fury that they never got really tapped into because like, he knew at some point in time there something is so bad is going to happen that I'm going to need to avenge it. I'm not going to. These aren't the defenders, you know. They're they're the Avengers. We're not going to defend the Earth. We're going to avenge something bad that is going to happen on the horizon. And so him going, I'm going to do this thing. My intentions 100 percent are to make sure I never use it, but I'm calling it the harvest because I know it's going to be used for nefarious purpose down the road. 
sounds dumb when you think about it, but also feels very much on par with what we know of Nick Fury. Is like, no, yeah, something bad's going to happen. So let's just, even subconsciously, I'm just going to make it sound like a, a weapon because I know where this is going to go. Well, I think we both read the Defenders comic and we know which one sold better, Defenders versus Avengers. So I think Fury might have been onto something with that thinking. Ah, Defenders are amazing. We, I will end my last comment about episode five before we move on to six is we get our, our climactic suiting up scene from Nick Fury, which is literally uh, putting on a trench coat, a beanie, and an eye patch. And it started to make it like a super dramatic moment. Right. It's, it's not dramatic putting on a beanie. I'm sorry. <laughs> Let's do this. Uh, yeah. And this is also where we get the explanation why he's not calling the Avengers because he, he has two strong black women. He was raised by a mama and his wife and it's personal. And I'm okay. <laughs> like just done. So I was watching this with Jill, as I do, because I, Jill watches all these with me, half for my reactions. And from the start, she's like, this is bad writing for episode one. And at this point in time, she looked at me and said, why are you torturing yourself watching this? Mm. Episode five. So my family actually, <laughs> my family actually kind of liked this show. Um, and so I've been kind of hold, you're getting all my actual uncensored opinions because <laughs> I was like, I really don't like this. Um, uh, but even then, like for most of the other shows, every week when it dropped within a day or two, we would watch it. And this one we forgot to watch for like two or three weeks in a row. And then we had to catch up. Um, so to me, that's, that's kind of the same condemnation. Uh, but even that, it's like consistently, it was like, oh, hey, Fallsworth's on. You know, that's the only thing we all his family going, oh, yeah, she's back. That's cool. <laughs> um, so, I mean, they liked it, but also, I think it goes to, this gets, it's interesting digression, but it's an interesting point of like watching these things as a creator versus watching these things as just a casual fan, right? Like, um, we, you and I see things that other people don't just because it's our jobs to on some level. We, we need to break these things down because we're always constantly, it's all food for the mill. You know, we're always dissecting things because that can make, you might find, pull one little grain out that'll make our work better. Or in this case, a whole bunch of things we don't want to do to make our work better. Yeah. Uh, and I can't, sorry, before you go on, I can't stress how important that is too. Just not, you can find something useful, but also noting things that you yourself don't want to do. Yep. Mm -hmm. So it's not just about analyzing and potentially saying negative comments about something. It's about doing that and then noting them so that you don't fall into that same trap. Right. Yep. Sorry, you're saying. No, I, I was just more of the point is like, so uh, on, on some level, it's interesting, you know, because it's you, you, your, your partner basically saying, you know, why are we still watching this? And it's like, that's a, you know, a valid question. Um, but I mean, I know there are people who are watching, who watch the show. And like, ah, I kind of liked it, you know, granted, does not appear to be people on our Discord, so I feel like we're to reach to the choir on some level. <laughs> the, the few people mentioned the choir, it's like, please tell me you like this show, and it's like, I won't lie to you. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but uh, I don't know where I was going with that. Um, yeah, episode five happened. Uh, it did get a chance for Fury and Fallsworth to meet up. I also think that when they were younger, Fury and Fallsworth 
had a thing. I, I, I'm putting out that I, I think that spies 100%. are doing it left and right with everybody. 100%. No, no, no. No. She is pissed at him and making sure that he doesn't forget it ever. And I completely <laughs> believe that. Because part of the spying stuff is you got to you gotta be ready to, to go down. And I leave it vague like that purposely. Dropped. So we're recording head can, later in, in the day for me. She dumped him. In my head, Ken, she dumped him. And because said. she's like, no, you're not up to my standards. And she wants to make sure to reinforce. Nope, you're still not up to my standards the whole time. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, love it. All right. Episode six. So I'm going to start off episode six with some non-show related stuff. I think it currently has like an 11% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. This episode is not an 11% bad. It's bad. I'm not going to lie. But right. the ratings attacks this show has suffered is unreasonable compared to the show that we got compared to the other shows that we've watched up to now. Don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. You know my opinion on this show. It's not good. But right. it is not the level of vitriol that people are attacking it for. And I think part right. of that vitriol comes from the fact that it's – and I put this in finger quotes because I've already stated Nick Fury is not the lead. It is a black-led show with a strong supporting – female or femme presenting cast and then they have their cis white males primarily as tertiary characters i think some of the hate comes from that a large percentage of the hate comes from that then you stack on all the other problems on top of it my own two cents stated now eddie doesn't need to confirm or disagree because i don't want him to suffer social media fallout for chris's stuff <laughs> like i care there's no social media left it's all been been burned at the altar of musk so who cares anymore <laughs> Um, but no, I, I remember now the reason why I set up the, um, my family's relationship with the show is because I want to set up this episode is my family. You're not deep analyzers. Of, they, they, they like media. They, they love watching TV and movies. We, we love talking about TV and movies, but they're not thinking about it in the same structural level that I am. Like when we saw the first Avengers film. They really loved it, and they're talking about this cool scene was great. This cool scene, and I was going, "Yeah, I love how this part ties in that part, and how it sets up this." I mean, I was breaking down the structure of the movie. I really liked the structure of the film. We're watching this, and my family, when Mick Fury shows up and steps in, the first thing my family says is, "That's Gaia." Mm -hmm. Scene plays on when Nick Fury steps in, um, and Gravity turns the machine on. My family then immediately says, "That's only that, that machine only affects scrolls." And that says this guy is going to give her powers. These are casual fans who are not analyzing it the way that we do. And they're seeing the twists that early. What should be happening and has happened in other shows you've watched is they're saying, oh, it's this. And it turns to be something else. Especially in a show about espionage. When we watched WandaVision, we went through every goddamn theory in the planet up to and including it's it's uh, um mephisto right we went through everything and none of them were right we were all bamboozled and that was fun we loved it and then this happened and we watched it and then after shows over okay cool and then we went on to the next show we, we didn't even talk about it because i frankly it was it was so obvious and of all of the if you're going to do an espionage i keep going back to it, if it's an espionage show it's a show about spies it's a show about espionage it's a show about shapeshifters why is it such an obvious finale? I don't think the writers cared about it, really. And we know for a fact they didn't. 
we have the, I think, that, you know, as you commented, the director said things. I want to, I bet the writers have said things. It's been attacked on social media. I even think, God, who was it? Someone came out and said they know they overtaxed their creatives to constantly create media for television. And it's something they're going to address going forward. I want to say it was one of the executives or CEOs at Disney came out and said that. In short, we know that we've given you shit to watch and you've complained enough that it's cost us money. So now we'll try to fix it. And yeah, but also in the wake of the ongoing writer strike, that feels uh, very much like, yeah, we're going to not pay our writers as much because it's the writer's fault that all this happened. It's like, yeah, is it though? <laughs> writers only write what they're told to write. And if you don't yeah. let them connect up with the other stuff, whose fault is that really? I, I bring up the 11% because it is going to be incredibly pertinent in a moment. Like that is okay. what people have given it. And I've stated why I think that is. So we get the, the shenanigans at the hospital. I, I'm skipping over Fury because you already did Fury and Gaia. Gaia, yeah, yeah. Gaia becomes the second Super Scroll. And they have all the power to, all the powers of all the characters that fought in the Battle of Earth or whatever it was. Yippee. Right. And so you've got someone with the McRoots. Uh you've got someone with Captain Mer with Captain Marvel's powers, Thanos' powers, the winner soldier's powers. Yippee fucking skippy at that level. You've got a lot of <laughs> duplicative power sets. Great. Uh I, I make a pun because people are commenting all over the line that guy is too powerful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm coming to it in a minute. But uh, guy gets superpowers. Gravit goes, oh my goodness, I did not know that you were not Nick Fury. I don't know how I didn't know that. And they have a big superhero fight. Uh, Fury kills Skrull Rhodey after they were playing uh, Where's Waldo with the President for a while. <clears throat> you do notice that Fury shot all the other agents with Trank darts, so he's technically only killed an alien. Uh, Fallsworth yep. is there. Yay. We get our big superhero fight where I think all the budget went to. And they showed you all mm -hmm. the little nifty powers. Uh, they glowed. Somehow they knew how to use their powers right away, which is pretty impressive. Oh, let me rephrase that. Guy knew how to use her powers awesomely right away. Gravik pretty much just punched her. Uh, Gravik was full on scroll the whole fight while Gaia looked like Gaia with tiny baby Drax arms. Tiny <laughs> little Drax arm. That was so weird. Uh, Gaia kills Gravik, becoming the sole soul super scroll in existence with all the powers from all those characters and gets recruited by the UK. We, we, we hate you, Eddie and all your people for recruiting Gaia. Um, <laughs> the president basically called extermination for all alien life on the planet. All of them shoot the motherfuckers. And Nick Fury kind of makes a pun about it and fucks off into space with his wife. End of show. Right. And the reason, the thing that people are complaining most about is that Gaia is too powerful. Not the plot, not the plot holes, not the fact that Nick Fury literally formed an Avengers team to protect Earth and now he leaves the Earth in a big civil war. Um, yeah. And doesn't give two shits. That is not a character that we've followed for these past 15 years at all. Like, zero. And we don't yeah, get a confrontation between Fury and Gravik. We do not get that throughout the no. entire course of this fucking show. No. Um, I will push back slightly. I do believe this is 11% finale. But I completely agree with you that 
a large percentage of that is very like people going, but the girl, but the girl. And it's like, yeah, you know, that's bullshit. There, there's so many other problems with this finale that have nothing to do with guy is the most powerful pe person on the planet. Okay. Until the next character comes along. I mean, yeah. it, it, it's Marvel. That's how these things are. And it's like, it's, it's at the end of the day, there is one character named Super Scroll who has a lot of superpowers. That's, that's where they ended up. That's Marvel. Um, I, that was genuinely the least of my concerns. Like, I didn't realize that was a concern until people put it online, and I was like, oh, I guess? Oh, but it's, also, it's huge. Unbelievably so. It's, it, it's yeah, it, it feels very Rey and Star Wars in that, you know, it's, it's the, why would, she, why would she have all these Jedi powers so early on and blah, blah, blah. It's like, because we've seen those movies and nobody wants to watch Jedi training montages shut up. There's, you're, you're, you're just mad because someone with ovaries is better than you. Let's just move on with our lives. My <laughs> problem with this finale is just what you said. Nick is pitted against Gravik and has nothing to do with Gravik's downfall. Nick leaves the Earth after spending five episodes explaining why he came back to Earth. The scrolls are still here. If anything, the problem has gotten worse now. Mm -hmm. And he's just like, nope. I'm back out. I'm off. I'm going to take my wife. We're going to go off and do space peace summit things with the Kree because that always goes well. But no, she won't be there in the Marvel's movie because she said, I can help you for a little while then I must come back. Right. So that gave them the out to go that, hey, where's uh, – I forgot her name. That That is where, – where's uh, your wife? He'll go, uh, she went back to Earth. Boom. Done. Out. No more mention of the wife again. And it's we actually missed a whole part where Gaia and Vara actually strap guns and start shooting people down, which was a genuinely cool scene, actually. Um, that it was, but the setup showed. Is, hey, look at but the setup is dumb. Right? No, setup is dumb. Great the scene. Payoff is dumb. Setup is dumb. And. Now Gaia's superpower, so she doesn't do that anymore. So it's like, okay, well, the, there goes that thing. And of course, now the Zvaro's going to go off into space. So it's like, okay, cool. We had this cool moment of these two characters, and now they're going completely different directions. Um, it's just... We've talked before about a couple of shows now where the shows are about another character who's not present. And once again, this is unfavorably comparing with Captain America and Winter Soldier. Because that was all about Steve Rogers, even though Steve Rogers wasn't present. And that did a good job of explaining why Steve Rogers wasn't present and how Steve Rogers changes and shapes the lives of all the characters in the show. This is a show about Captain Marvel. And it shows just how little Marvel cares about Captain Marvel. And that's and the reason, intensely frustrating. I think the reason Captain America and Winter Soldier does so well is they specifically mention Steve throughout the course of it. Yes. This actively, actively avoids mentioning Captain Marvel at all. I used that, quoted that line because I think that is the only time Carol Danvers, not Captain Marvel's name is mentioned throughout the entire course of this show. Right. This is a show that 
100% spins out of the Captain Marvel movie. If you can't hire her to be in the show, there needs to be a credible reason why she's not present. But otherwise, the show needs to be about that movie, right? What we're left with is either Captain Marvel doesn't care about the Earth, which is, I'm sure, not the message that Marvel wants, especially because the Marvel's movie is on the horizon. And that's a problem. The other thing is that it shows the other option is that the Captain Marvel movie is not about Captain Marvel. It's actually about Nick Fury, which is a concerning revelation, especially with, and this is what I end with Ms. Marvel's a better Captain Marvel show than this show, which comes out of the Captain Marvel movie. So Marvel needs to figure what they want to do with Captain Marvel. Cause what this show has shown me and I think Marvel has recognized this, is that this past run of shows and movies is not doing what they needed to do. They need to really rethink how they're approaching their, their content creation because this is not working. I agree with all that. I guess my last comment is going to be, it's more that Marvel slash Disney wanted to be a part of the streaming economy that they saw that Netflix was killing it. So they created all this like a bunch of other networks and companies did to try to become, to create a streaming war, which generated a bunch of money, but spread over so many different companies and trying to create so much content, everyone suffers. And I think that's why Paramount is canceling different Star Treks right now. And yep. they potentially will be gone in like three to five years completely. Other companies are folding in. There is not enough revenue to do that. You have to figure out what your lane is and then try to excel in that and not gobble up everyone else's because then we go back and they, I can try to go into like whole economy thing about monopolies and everything else, but that's not the intent of the show. It is to say mm -hmm. that their drive to create so much content, to keep people engaged, talking about their stuff has caused all that content to be second tier at best most of the time. And that has cost them more right. money in the long run. And but it's also cost them the accolades they were getting. And originally Marvel was trying really hard to get to come part of like the Oscar conversation and everything else that they were not a part of because people didn't want to give those those funny books any awards for the stuff they were doing, regardless of what they were doing. Mm -hmm. And this show is indicative of all of that conflict up to this point. Yeah. And as a Marvel fan, I am done. I, I will do no more Marvel Disney plus TV. No more done out. I'm not watching Loki season two. I got nothing for it unless Eddie comes back after like the end of it and says, Oh my God, this is amazing. And then I may listen to his input, but then Eddie knows that if I like it, we'd have to have a talk about it. And it may end up like this if he's wrong. So I think that'll, that'll hedge my bets there. Wow. I will go now see I'm the really uncomfortable with this, but now this umbrella academy conversation is really uncomfortable. I feel for me. You told me the show was great, uh, um, <laughs> I will go see the Marvels because <laughs> I'll go see the Marvels because I enjoyed Captain Marvel. I liked Miss mm. Marvel, and I am all about the real Captain Marvel, Monica Rambeau. Right. So I'm, I'm going to go see it, and that will determine going forward if I will go to any more Marvel movies other than Captain America because that is something I have to go and try. Regardless, I know of right. the pain it's going to cause. That's a hit I'll take. But this, I'm done. I'm glad we talked about this now because I will never watch the show again. I will never think about it. 
other than to go, what the fuck did they do? Mm-hmm. But I stand by. This finale does not deserve an 11%. This finale, as bad as it is, all the problem is still better than the She-Hulk finale. Uh, okay. Um, all right. That's fair. I will give you a chance to, re- to uh, rebut before we move on. I will not leave it like, mic drop. No, I mean, uh, I, I'll just I'll simply acknowledge that um, She-Hulk was more uneven. Uh, I think there are higher highs, but there also were lower lows. And this show is just kind of mm-hmm. meh, which is even worse in a lot of ways. Yeah. All right. Uh, so we're now done, that we're like, no more of this, we're not doing anything else. Now that we're officially done with the Marvel Disney Plus superhero TV shows from characters that were in the cinematic universe or going to the cinematic universe, what are we doing next time, Eddie? I like how that was so extremely specific and leaving us an out that I know we're going to engage with later. But um, <laughs> we have been talking, we were talking a lot about various deconstruction. Uh, uh, TV shows, uh, uh, deconstructed comics, and so we're going to finally engage with the granddaddy of them, uh, uh, the the eleven thousand pound elephant in the room. We're going to talk about the Watchmen movie, and I have very complicated opinions about this. Other than it was the greatest movie ever told, that is not what we will take away from that conversation. No. <laughs> <laughs> That whoever but, made is a cinematic genius. I will say I like that. It, it should have been twice as long with half the plot. Oh God, no! I, I, I've, I've seen Justice League. Thank you. I don't need to watch it. <laughs> um, no. That said, I mean, I, I'm, I'm being a hyperbolic. Uh, um, I gen- definitely liked it more than Secret, Secret Invasion. Um, uh, and I think Watchmen <laughs> a lot to go for it, but. Um, uh, Ultimately, we've been dancing around a lot of deconstruction, and, and really all of it comes from Watchmen. So it's finally time to sit down and watch the, the Watchmen movie proper <laughs> um, and talk about it because there's a lot of cool stuff here to talk about, and there's a lot of interesting stuff here to talk about. It's not quite as cool. If people are looking for you out online, or I, I take that back, if looking for you out online and when they buy your stuff, where can they find you and purchase those items? So where you can find me online these days, the uh, best place to find me is uh, really anywhere with the word Pugsteady. It's P-U-G-S-T-A-D-Y. That's my website. You can find me there on Dice.Camp. You can find me on Blue Sky. Um, you also find me on the Discord, the Barter Director Hugh Discord, where I am Eddie, so that's a little more confusing. Uh, but if you want to buy my stuff, um, one thing you could buy right now that's relevant uh, is um, I have just written an adventure for the Marvel Multiverse role-playing game about the revenge what? of the secret super scroll um, to tie in with this fantastic show that we just talked about. So if you want to see a good representation of the super scroll, um, you can buy that adventure on roll 20. Um, and it has all of the, the widgets and maps and flippable tokens and special effects you could possibly build for. And it even has, you can have people turn into scroll tokens and back. So you actually <laughs> have flippable scroll tokens, people are scrolls or not scrolls at various times. It's actually quite cool. Is Disney now going to send scroll assassins after you after they listen to what we talked about for Secret Invasion? I hope so, because they'll be more interesting than this show was. 
Oh, God. Um, if you're looking for me, you can find me in the Darker Hue Discord, which is probably the best place. I'm not really anywhere else these days. Maybe occasionally I, I go for Dice Camp, which is at DHS, or my Blue Skies, which I think is Darker underscore Hue. Otherwise, if you want to buy my stuff, go to IPR uh, or go to your own friendly local gaming store and tell them to purchase Darker Hue materials to ship to yes. you through your F, uh, friendly local gaming store. That helps everybody. Indeed. So that will see you all next week. We find out who watches The Watchmen. It's us. That's the answer. It's us. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.